Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup episode 98. Now this is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy Lemasugu. Thanks for listening in. Now once again this week I have a special guest joining me on the show to discuss some of the week's biggest stories and to chat about blockchain tech as well as cryptocurrency trends on the continent. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I give you a broadcaster, designer, entrepreneur, and writer who believes that most of us are doing money wrong and is absolutely determined to try and make us fix it, the fintech phenom that is Simon Dingle. Welcome, Simon. <laughs> and Dile, how you doing? Hey, I'm chilled, man. Last time we spoke, I was a guest on your podcast, bud. That's right. Yeah, you're on that tech show. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's really nice to catch up with you, man. But before we carry on, let's do this. This episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by the African Tech Roundup Live. Now, many of you know that the Global Entrepreneurship Congress 2017 is being hosted in Santon, Johannesburg from Monday, March 13th to Thursday, March 16th. Uh, and we're happy to announce that on the morning of the very last day of GEC 2017, that's Thursday, March 16th, I'll be hosting a live two and a half hour African Tech Roundup special in partnership with the Alpha Code Club and VC for Africa. Now, we've themed the event State of the Startup and uh, we'll be featuring special guests Olivier Laucher, who's the founder and CEO of Trace, uh, Dominique Collett, Senior Investment Executive at RMI and Alpha Code, Ben White, who's the founder and CEO of VC for Africa, and Daniel Rubenstein, co-founder of My Treasury. Now, light breakfast will be served on arrival at 7.30, but the program itself will run from 8.30 to 11 a.m. So we'll start by unpacking some of the week's biggest headlines. Then, in keeping with the spirit of the Global Entrepreneurship Congress, I'll glean entrepreneurial insights from my guests. Uh, I'll ask them to lift the curtain on the realities of launching, growing, and investing in tech startups on the African continent. Then, finally, I'm going to host a fireside chat with the one and only Olivier Laucher and uh, have him share how he built Trace from a modest, glossy publication to the world's biggest omni-channel urban media group, uh, a group that services a global audience of 200 million people in 11 languages. Now, if that sounds good to you, head over to www.africantechroundup.com forward slash live to apply for a seat at this event. There are only a handful of spots left. And then, of course, if you can't make it, don't worry because we'll be streaming the event live on Facebook. You can catch the stream at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup, as well as facebook.com forward slash VC for Africa. And that's VC, the number four, Africa. Are you coming, Simon? I won't be, unfortunately, but oh, uh, that might have to change. <laughs> heartbroken, heartbroken. Well, I hope I hope plans can change. I know you're traveling a, a, whole, uh, a whole lot these days. Uh, really nice to have you there. Um, But with all that said, it's on to this week's news, folks. First up, there's an anonymous messaging website called Saraha. It's the word uh, Sarah, the the name Sarah with the word ah at the end, but uh, spelled as one Mm -hmm. word. It's basically the Arabic word for honesty, apparently. And um, they launched uh, the, the site was launched in February this year, and it's doing insanely well. It it already has something like twenty million users, with over two million users, be, uh, uh, you know, being from Egypt, and over one million uh, people being from Tunisia. It's crazy stuff, yeah. That's absolutely crazy. Um, but uh, it's uh, it, I've just been looking at the site. It's it's quite interesting because there seems to be a lot of trust here on the user side. It 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 claims to be safe and secured and encrypted and all the rest of it. But but really, um, there's nothing beyond them saying so. If I if I can make out the loosely Google translated version <laughs> of the site, which is all in Arabic. Um, there's, Basically, there's trust to... us because we say we're safe. <laughs> Pr- pretty pretty much. <laughs> And uh, so the, the site was created by a, a chap named Zain Al Abidin Taufik. I hope I'm not uh, butchering his name. Now he's a programmer from Saudi Arabia. <laughs> the fun thing is, he he actually created the platform uh, as something companies might use to to get like honest feedback from their employees, uh, and then sort of like launches it live. Kind, kind of like the Facebook story origin story in the sense that it was initially only for Harvard, you know, Harvard alums and and Harvard mm. uh, students. Then all of a sudden, there seems to be this use case uh, for, you know, the whole world, uh, which uh, Sarah seems to, to be turning into. Yeah, um, I, I'm just looking through their um, privacy policy. I'm obsessed now. <laughs> <laughs> You've been sucked in. <laughs> 
you know, I think we tend to, in, in countries where, where our freedoms are, are, are protected, like South Africa, I think we, we take for granted the kind of frank conversations that we can have out in the open and in public without having to worry about any material consequences, um, at least not in terms of a government um, coming for us or, or, you know, being physically harmed. Yeah. Um, but 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 when you see people having having earnest discussions about, for example, homosexuality uh, from a country where that's something that could get you into into a lot of trouble, which you know is just frankly disgusting in this day and age. But anyway, um, you know there there has to be a pretty high level of trust in this platform where you're having these discussions. Yeah. Um, but it's it's incredibly encouraging to see this kind of discourse happening in a part of the world that I think needs a lot more of it. Yeah, I mean, you're talking homosexuality. I mean, people are sometimes it's even as basic as confessions of romantic attraction, for example. Or um, yeah, or, I mean, look, we, you know, we, we, we're, we're talking about a, a particularly evil canon of fairy tales where you know just 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 not dressing the right way will get you stoned from absolutely. from some quarters of of that particular faith. So it's um, it's 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 interesting seeing these discussions happen out in the open and people expressing themselves in a way that I suspect I'm not an expert on the region, but I suspect they don't get to do very often outside of, you know, closed uh, physical social circles. Yeah. And look, the site hasn't been without its critics. Um, some people have complained uh, that it's also become a platform for online bullying. I mean, I can certainly see how if it, it offers freedom or, or anonymity in terms of commenting on, on people's personalities or politics or government or things like that could easily be, be used for, for less savory things like just, you know, just out <laughs> and not being mean to people online. <laughs> yeah, but, I, you know, that's the rough that you, you have to take with a smooth if you want to build a, a truly um, open and decentralized uh, communications network. So, you know, it, it, Facebook isn't an example of that. Facebook is very heavily yeah. moderated, and there are algorithms that will now even tell us if we're possibly looking at fake news. <laughs> yeah. But, you yeah. know, th this strikes me more as something like Reddit, where you're going to have a more robust conversation I was uh, going to where say, the trolls don't get shut down. <laughs> I was going to say, in the sort of mainstream, uh, you know, realm of what's already out there, I think Reddit's the closest to that as possible. But, um, uh, even that, I have a feeling, is going to be reined in in, in due course, uh, given you know oh, yeah. the, the direction net neutrality is going or not going really. Uh, well, so. it's already started, right? I mean, you know, Reddit is a commercial endeavor now. It's um, while it's still some of the internet's most uh, robust conversation. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's it's it, you can already see that starting to happen in a way that it isn't on sites like 4chan, for example. But it's very interesting seeing seeing something. Um, and, I, and I noticed Google has has made the direct translation of Sarah Ha um, frankness, the word frankness, mm. um, which is interesting. Mm. So, so people being frank with each other on the internet in the Arab world without moderation. Um, uh, this is I, I suspect you've just killed my productivity for the next week because I'm going to be reading <laughs> through threads, on, threads be, on the site. <laughs> are you gonna, is it going to be a quick deep dive into Arab culture via Sarah? <laughs> well, I'm just you know the the the, the 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 small glimpse of conversations I've had so far is, is fascinating. Fascinating, yeah, absolutely. Well, to Nigeria now though, where a consortium of banks, including Guarantee Trust Bank, Access Bank, and Zenith Bank, are set to assume control of Etasalat, Nigeria. Uh, this is over a $1.72 billion loan facility dispute that uh, the Nigerian Communications Commission has apparently failed to intervene in. Ooh, scary stuff. Look, I mean, certainly I should have prefaced all that by saying reportedly um, at this mm. point because um, it almost feels unreal that a company that big could be taken over by, by, by its uh, creditors. Yeah, yeah, it is a it is a bizarre story. I must admit, it's not something that that I, I know a lot of detail mm. about. But um, you know, we we we're starting to see the ramifications of a business that just rapidly expanded on the continent over the yeah. last couple of decades. Um, and you know, MTN is a great example of just trailblazing through the continent and and winning as much business as possible and then kind of worrying about um, stabilizing infrastructure and regulation and all the rest of yeah. it in the wake then, of I this mean, massive more expansion. As well, I mean, you've got Bharti Airtel, um, you know, coming out on some, we're dialing back on our investments on the continent, a little too far stretched. Perhaps treating Africa like one big country isn't a, a good idea after all. 
Yeah, absolutely not. Um, and, and, you know, again, I think just to stay with my example of MTN, they're a very good example of how they don't treat Africa as, as one country. They they do roll out in very different ways in very different regions. Um, they also, you know, just by virtue of, of, of where the market was when they started the African expansion, MTN became the de facto network in some of the, you know, they, they were the sort of only telecoms network in, in some regions for a very long time. And there they, they looked more like a telecom on the surface in yeah. If you're a South African, yeah. um, then like a cellular network provider, such. So I think you know they have differentiated by market, but but my point is just you. Whenever there's a new industry, there's going to be some running roughshod over regulation, uh, stretching <laughs> the envelope a little bit in terms of what's allowed and what isn't, um, and there's going to be some structures that are going to be questioned over time. So again, I unfortunately don't have too much detail about this particular uh, story, but uh, I, yeah. I suspect it's another example of um, of of a network having to having to retrospectively go and address some issues that were created. Well, I mean, you know, so what I know about it is basically that um, they sourced this funding in 2015. Um, uh, the funding involved a foreign-backed uh, guarantee bond that was meant to finance a major network rehabilitation uh, as well as finance expansion of their operational base in Nigeria. But mm. um, I, I imagine, the, you know, the calculations were slightly off because... Um, you know, their, their creditors are claiming that Etisalat has failed to meet, you know, their debt servicing obligations since 2016, which simply means they aren't making nearly as much as they thought they might uh, after sort of investing in, in the infrastructure they, mm, they, mm. they borrowed to build. So is this, a, is this a matter of mismanagement? Could there be issues around, you know, the money not doing what it was meant to do or maybe just straight up uh, miscalculating uh, you know, what they were going to yield uh, from, you know, the outlays they put out. Or it, maybe this is just part and parcel of what Nigeria is going through in terms of, you know, the recessionary environment. I know that country is going through at the moment. Mm. Um, all in all, I mean, I, I'd be interested. I, I know, for example, Orange is on the hunt for, for more acquisitions on the continent. Um, could this be something they snap up? Who knows? Uh, I, I just find it quite interesting that... Um, the mighty are faltering at a, at a significant rate in the last you know, sort of three or four years, eh? It's a tough industry, though, Ndila. I mean, I, I, as much as the mobile network operators really don't deserve much of our sympathy, um, they're dealing complexity, they treat their customers like crap and all of that. But <laughs> but it really is a very complex business to run, and it's very difficult. Um, you know, profit margins are just vanishing. Uh, the average revenue per user has just, you know, been on a, a steady decline. Um the, the the competition in African markets has has really hurt the the bigger players, um, but that doesn't mean it's easy to be one of the small guys either. Because if you if you're third or fourth in a market, um, you know mo in most African markets that that cr creates a very a very difficult roadmap for you. And we're seeing that with the Celsius of the world. I'm not sure how big Eti Salat is in Nigeria compared to its competitors. Um, but you know, it 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 just compounds the problem if you if yeah. you don't already have a massive user base that you're able to prevent churn on. Um, you're basically the runt of the litter. Yeah. yeah, and Nigeria is an interesting market. I mean, you know, things things that we take that we took for granted a long time ago in in countries like uh, Kenya and South Africa with with sort of interconnect um, on networks. That's a fairly recent thing um, comparatively in Nigeria. You know, for the longest time, you, if if you if your friend was on one network and you on another, you couldn't phone each other, <laughs> mm. which is which is one of the reasons that Nigeria is one of the biggest or was one of the biggest uh, markets for multi-sim uh, users. I'm not sure if that's still the case, but it's it's a fascinating market market in terms of telecommunications yep. Yep. it's certainly not an easy one though um, yep. and then you know the other big thing that you that you face as an MNO is just ongoing massive infrastructural costs both in yep. maintenance and in expansion and keeping up with the latest technology so it's a difficult business and it's and it's becoming increasingly difficult to do profitably and I mean you have to let's be honest I mean as consumers we're becoming inc more and more demanding in terms of you know network quality coverage and all those kind of things, and again, add that to the mix. Um, you, you can't uh, you can't blame it just a lot for, for 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 borrowing large sums of money to basically maintain a network or grow it or basically keep us happy. You know, keep their customers happy. <laughs> like and, you know, we're all human know. monkeys. We we want we want it to be fast and we want it to be free. It must get better and cost less. <laughs> it costs less, and, and there you are. And it could just be a matter of. Um, uh, you know, again, just an example of how business is just 
you know, one of the toughest things in the world, really. And that's why we don't all do it. <laughs> mm, mm. But it's, the, the, the dynamics are interesting. I mean, just to go back to South Africa, not to hop on about our local situation, but it's the one I'm most familiar with, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, the moment you've got a player like a Celsi or a Telcom Mobile or a third or fourth position player that's willing to take big risks, um, it really creates a, a problem for, for the bigger incumbents because... Um, there, you know, you'll you'll kind of you'll kind of just insert these crazy price schemes like Telcom has done with its freemi packages in South Africa, mm. Mm. Um, and just undercut the market uh, entirely. Mm. Um, and 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 for for the bigger players to react to that is is near impossible um, without producing some really bad results at the end of the year. So. Right. But but now what we're starting to see is if you look at South Africa, like MTN and Vodacom, whereas they used to be quite responsive to what the smaller players were doing, they've they've kind of just dug their heels in now. So the reaction to telecoms free me packages from from the big players has kind of been like nothing. You know, go ahead. We're just go gonna ahead. stick to our guns. Yeah. You do we're that gonna... while we yeah. kind of just do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they, yeah. They, you know, they'll carry on talking about how much better their network is, I suppose, with the idea that you pay a premium for access to a network that's got better coverage and et right. cetera, et cetera. Right. But, um, but it, 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 it certainly is a fascinating industry. It is. It is, absolutely. Let's talk VOD news then. Uh, uh, this June, uh, the Malaysian subscription-based VOD service iFlix is set to launch in no less than seven African countries, including Kenya, Nigeria, and, of course, South Africa. Now, this follows... Uh, iFlix uh, raising $90 million worth of funding in a round led by uh, telecommunications giants uh, Liberty Global PLC and the Kuwait-based um, uh, mobile telco situation, Zane. Uh, they're planning to take on Netflix, Nasperis, and Quesia on the continent as well as in the Middle East. What do you think, Simon? Yeah, it's an it's an interesting play. Um, and and it, it, it's... It, it's... I think it's a pretty smart approach because the way that media consumption works in Africa, and again, not to generalize, but but if we do draw some generalizations, is is very different from how it happens in sort of uh, North America for one, and then Europe has its own idiosyncrasies. But you know, for example, um, in Africa, uh, there's the the rate of media consumption on mobile devices is so much higher, right? Because yeah. we're just that far ahead of the rest of the world when it comes to um, to, to, to mobile computing <laughs> right. um, and, and also of course out of necessity etc but but yeah. none of you know I think if you're a Netflix or a Amazon Prime um, or any of the the bigger um, on-demand streaming players in the US market for example um, I, I suspect that you're preoccupied with what's happening in the lounge on uh, you know ultra high definition television sets that right. have um, you know a, f- a fiber to the home or, or equivalent connection to it. Whereas, that is like thin as your finger or whatever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, whereas, you know, here in Africa, um, a lot of users are on tiny screens. Um, yeah, mobile first. Yeah, and, and often in areas where connectivity is sketchy. So none of, none of the big players are, are primed for that. Um, it would be interesting to have this discussion with Showmax because they look more like the Netflixes of the world than they do... Um, like like something focused on your rural African user, for example. Um, but but I, I get accused of of, of being like a, a uh, an Econet fanboy, which I kind of am, and and consequently a fanboy of of many of their subsidiaries like Liquid Telecom and certainly Quest, <laughs> who I feel um, to to the point you were making just now are probably the closest to the kind the hybrid that I think Africa needs in that mm, um, mm. they're making plays uh, for you know the cable business that DSTV dominates at the same time uh, they look poised to to, to leverage Econet's uh, you know coverage uh, well I suppose we could fairly say modest relative to MTN and Vodacom maybe on the continent or, or you know Vodafone um, mm. so they, but they they seem poised to basically leverage Econet's uh, footprint on the continent. They look uh, poised to to make the most of uh, Liquid Telecoms now owning the biggest fiber footprint on the continent, and that's not something Showmax can claim, uh, despite their partnerships with Vodacom or Safaricom or whoever it is they're they, mm. they're trying to get sweet with, uh, or or in fact Netflix or Amazon who are out and out outsiders, you know. Mm. You know, the, 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 on the one side, you've got that debate in terms of network partnership and zero rating of content, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other side is 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 the billing debacle because if I was if I was going to come up with a truly African play at streaming media, 
the first discussion I would try and have with an MNO would be in terms of airtime billing. Um, something that BlackBerry successfully did for their app store, for example, where you could use mm. airtime to pay for mm. apps. Mm. Um, so if I, I, I was reading the Tech Central article on, on iFlex that broke uh, this week. And based on the Malaysian pricing, they estimated, I think they said, around 23 rand for your monthly subscription to iFlix. Mm. Now, you know, compared to Netflix or Showmax, that's cheap. It's, it's roughly 25% of what you're paying for those, those um, you know, those, uh, those other services. But it's still, it's still relatively expensive, um, you know, for, for, if you look at the, the, mass, um, the mass mobile market in Africa. Yeah. And I, I suspect that a massive differentiator would be if you could get um, airtime billing for that. So um, we, we, you know, it, just remove that friction for the end user where they can hit a button and the billing will be taken care of by the carrier. Now, yeah. if I was an MNO, I would also be beating down their door for this because your biggest problem as a mobile network operator, as we alluded to earlier, is churn. Um, yeah. And if you've got somebody's uh, subscription to a media service that they love attached to their SIM card, then you know you've got another you've got another vector to work on against churn. So, but then it'd if be you're a media player, that I kind mean, of thing happening. But then if you're a media player, the question is, um, you know, is there any sort of benefit to you in, 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 in you know, signing exclusive deals with, with an MNO uh, when, you know, going agnostic is probably where it should be and you've got the potential to, to sort of grow into that space with, without them, you know? Yeah, I suppose that's, that's part of the discussion. If we go back to our BlackBerry example, um, and, and again, they, they, have a, they had a unique relationship with the MNOs. But they were able to do it across networks, so yeah. it didn't really matter which matter network who. you were on. You could you could use carrier billing to pay for things on the BlackBerry store. Um, so you know it can be done, but but obviously these deals take a, a hell of a lot of time, and there's a lot of politics involved, etc. It's just I interesting thought, to me to yeah. think about the kind of model that works um, in Africa. You know, African users again, if if we generalize and look at the mass market. Um, African users tend to think a lot more about how much bandwidth they're consuming than than people in the rest of the world that play flat rates for unlimited usage. You know, for 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 somebody in in a lot of Africa to people in a lot of Africa to download apps, they think a lot about you know how big that app is <laughs> and yes. and how much of their bandwidth it's going to consume because yeah. So, so on the one hand, they're used to paying by the megabyte, for example. But on the other hand, we haven't really seen a super successful all-you-can-eat uh, package launched in Africa, unfortunately, um, because it's just more convenient for the big greedy MNOs and their ilk to milk the market for as much as possible. But, but it would also, be interesting I mean, to see. We're not even all the that. way there yet in terms of like smartphone penetration. I mean, we're still at at best. I mean, if we're talking in the case of South Africa, at like four and a half. I think this is Pew Research. Uh, center, you know, uh, findings that that put it put the best possible scenario in terms of smartphone penetration at four and a half odd uh, smartphones per every ten people, relative to smart, you know, South Korea, which is sitting at something like nine per every ten. You know what I'm saying? So even yes. the <laughs> economics of it um, might not be all the way there yet for those kind of packages to work. Mm. Yeah, it's going to yeah. be an, it's going to be an interesting journey to watch from the sidelines. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember um, Olivier, uh, was it Oliver Fortain, I think is his name. He, former CEO of BT um, Africa. Uh, he, oh, yeah, snapped up by, by, MTN, by the MTN group uh, some months ago. But anyway, uh, he, I remember speaking to him, was it last year, and putting to him a very unfair question. I asked him, like, what could possibly disrupt BT's business, you know, to the extent of, say, uh, they're no longer existing like Kodak, you know, what could possibly happen? And and he said mm. to me then that um, the, the biggest threat in his mind was uh, BT failing to get media right, you know, which, ah. is, which I think is quite telling. And, and it's just also why I'm quite bullish on the potential for something like Kwese, which isn't sort of, you know, isn't quite frankly, I think, best in breed in as far as the content offering they have and, and everything else uh, it, when you compare it with maybe a show Max and iFlix or Netflix. Mm. But I just sense that they, they have every, the makings of a secret source that could actually, you know, make a hybrid that really works for our markets, for, for, the, for African markets. Yeah, although I'm not, I'm not a proponent of, of networks doing services. I really do think that they should double down on being the plumbers that they are. Um, really? And, and, That's absolutely, surprising. Absolutely. 
Um, you know, for, for the longest time, we've watched these guys floundering in the services space, trying to do things that they're crap at, frankly, like mm. compete with WhatsApp or compete with a streaming media service. Or firstly, they're not in that business. They don't have the kind of values and the kind of attitude True. that you need to run True. those services-based businesses. They're never going to compete with an agile team of people in a, you know, in a San Francisco or a Cape Town or a Nairobi that are very focused on their customers and are able to do things at a greater degree of risk and at 10 times the, the speed and fidelity that, that these big network operators can. And I remember actually having this conversation with Alan, not Craig, senior, of course, when he was um, CEO of Cell C when he re-entered the market. And he actually agreed with me. <laughs> you know, he, he, said, he said the networks really need to focus on what they do, which is being networks, right? Be the plumbing. You don't want your plumber to make toilets. You want your plumber to install pipes <laughs> and run the pipes very well. Um, and so I, I really think that the, the, the MNOs need to double down on differentiating in terms of network and pricing uh, and the things that consumers want them for and get out of the way in terms of services and just enable services on their platforms with things like carrier billing. Um, the other thing is it's, it's better for the consumer because if you're, a, if you're a network with a particular service that's doing well in a market, you're going to defend it and it could lead to anti-competitive behavior. You know, right. For example, we, we've seen big MNOs uh, in Africa trying to clamp down on WhatsApp. And in fact, going and trying to um, get regulators uh, to rule on, on, the, on the legitimacy of an app like WhatsApp. Now, that's despicable behavior. It's anti-competitive. It's anti-consumer. It basically is, you know, it, it, again, we're not talking about, about the world's um, most ethical human beings here, but, but it, it, it just doesn't, it, it's, we don't want it from them, firstly, and they mm. can't do it, secondly. And I think it's just better if those services are, different, are, are kept as far away from the MNOs as possible. Yo, you know, you've got me thinking because um, I had a conversation with uh, the CEO of uh, a subsidiary of Vodacom's, uh, an IoT subsidiary called Mezzanine. And um, yeah, it was it was curious to me that, um, you know, when I, I, when I was chasing the opportunity to interview him, he was sold as the Vodacom CEO or, 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 the, or the CEO, or the MD of Vodacom's IoT business, right? Um, oh, Dion Liebenberg. Is it no? What's his name? No, it wasn't Dion. What's his name? Uh, can't get his name. <laughs> okay, well, Jacques, Jacques Devos, Jacques Devos. Okay. Yeah, Jacques Devos. And I, so anyway, so I'm speaking to him. I'll, I'll probably share some of that content in in in, in the week in another week or two. Um, but uh, I'm speaking to him about IoT and everything. But it occurred to me that maybe that's that's how um, big players like Vodacom or MTN or whatever can successfully participate if, if they secure sort of majority interests or, 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 ma or major interests in, in companies that have been doing it well or, do, or have been doing well in a certain space and, and give them at least enough room to keep being great without, with, without snuffing it out with their sort of brand sensibilities, you know? Mm, mm. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's that's the way forward to do it. I don't know. And and I hear you with, with regards to the, the Econet group. I, I do sense that, the you know, everything happening around Question, and I, and I speak totally outside of knowing anything about how it's working. I just, just, just sheerly, sheerly covering the, 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 the news, uh, you know, we've been putting, just sheerly covering the company, uh, you know, in the last mm. few months. You just get a sense that um, maybe it could work if uh, if you had all the ingredients in the right place. But again, like you mentioned, you have to have the right attitude too. Yeah, exactly. Because I, yeah. you know, I don't know Kwesi, but if let's say it's successful at iFlix launches, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, you know, if if you if 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 you're running the network, you could you could throttle or do other anti-competitive things to make sure that iFlix doesn't compete with with one Absolutely. of your products. Now, you know, a lot of that anti-competitive um, behavior, the regulator wouldn't allow, fortunately. But it's it's a discussion I'd rather that we weren't having. Um, yeah, yeah. Keep it I, separate so we know who's who. Um, let whoever's good at being good at that be good at that. Mm, if you're mm, a plumber, mm. be a plumber. I get you. I and use the services to differentiate in other ways. So, for example, back to the Telcom Freemi products. Um, you know, uh, Telcom has done a magnificent job of 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 exactly what we're talking about: it's recognizing what customers want, which is more data and to pay less for it, and then. Going and working, instead of trying to work against the third-party service providers, using them as a differentiator. So, for example, if you have a, a Telcom Freemi package, they zero-rate WhatsApp. 
So you effectively get free messaging and free calling on WhatsApp if, you, if you're a Telcom Freemi customer. Now, now they've actually turned a situation around where WhatsApp could be you know, perceived as a competitor. They're actually using WhatsApp as a competitive differentiator. Hmm. 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 Now that's smart. Whereas yeah. trying to launch your own WhatsApp competitor and failing miserably is stupid. And that's the kind of thing that MNOs more often than not will try and do. Great point. You got me thinking there, but well, I mean, well, let's keep talking about the MNOs, uh, at least one in particular, MTN South Africa announcing, uh, you know, rather surprisingly that uh, their CEO, Mtetonyati, will be leaving the company and starting a new role as the head of the Altron Group uh, in July 2017. How's that mm. for some news? That's uh, I, I think that's great news for Eltron. I mean, you you really can't ask for for a better CEO <laughs> um, yeah, in an Africa. He's an incredible guy, and, and he's the an kind, incredible guy, and the kind of experience that Ntetonyati has as well. Um, you know, that's a massive win for for Eltron. Yeah. Whether or not this is a win for Ntetonyati, I'm not so sure. Actually. <laughs> <I think>. um, <laughs> For, 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 for our listeners who are not familiar with the Altran Group, while well, they're a major tech group listed on the JSC, I believe they're family-owned South African tech company. Yeah, the um, Fenter family. Yeah, effectively. But, um, the Fenter family, of course, is the story of Altron, but it's a publicly listed company, has been for years. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. There's, yeah. Actually a, there's actually a double so. listing. So, so Altec, which forms part of Altron, is listed separately and houses yeah. um, the, the group's um, sort of high-tech um, companies. Right. Like, like you know, their cellular service providership, etc. Um, yeah. and 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 was a bit of a darling for a very long time with investors. Um, you know, Altec Altec really had a, a fantastic decade. Um, but but the group wise, I, I think there there's some there's some very interesting um, there's some very interesting challenges both being faced now and on the horizon um, that you know have more to do with the industry and the market than than Altron as a company. I think yeah. it's just if I was if I was Mteto and Yati, this is a this is a very different game from running um, you know an MTN. So um, yeah. he's the he's the right guy them, to lead them into this uncertain future. But it's it's going to be interesting. Yeah, and I think um, a lot of their woes uh, were linked to as a group were linked to how heavily uh, reliant they were on the you know the legacy the traditional legacy model uh, of mobile telcos which of course i mean they they had like huge interest in the in in, in the contract business uh, uh as far as like uh you know mobile telephony and that kind of thing mm. um but like you say i think th in some respects his attitude might be the same having spoken to him like just over a year ago i, I remember him saying uh, that you know he, he he one of his goals was for mtn not to uh, the MTN of the future, not to be just a mobile telco, but to be like a, a going digital concern, a platform, um, mm. you know, a, a, a rich, rich enough to basically cater to, you know, the future digital needs of, of their current uh, customer mm. base, everything mm. you hate. Um, but that was his goal. <laughs> <laughs> that was his goal. The idea that um, he could see that the numbers were, were pointing to a future that, that uh, if they didn't sort of change course and, 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 and stop relying on, on sweating legacy assets in the way mm. they had done before, they might very well not exist going forward. And maybe, in some respect, that's true for the Altron Group, just from a, 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 a totally different uh, perspective. Yeah. Uh, nonetheless, Godfrey Mozza will take over from the 13th of March, the CEO of um, MTN South Africa. Um, he's been with the company just over a year now. He's been a vice president of the group's uh, Southern uh, and East African operation. So they reckon mm. um, he's ready to take the reins there. Um, I guess this is only fair, though, that they lose a major exec, MTN. Um, the, uh, what after poaching... Uh, you know, major names from Barclays Africa, BT Africa, Vodacom last year. Yeah. I don't know if coming. this was, I don't know if this was a poach. Again, I, you know, I kind of have to be careful how far out on the limb I go here because I'm very out of touch with, with um, the, the, the industry. I've kind of been focused on my, my startups for the last five years. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you know, MTN did, did report a massive annual loss uh, recently, um, mm -hmm. which I believe is its first ever. Um, yes, first ever. Yeah, um, you know what was it? A hundred million dollars uh, in that region. Look, they're um, blaming it on the whole Nigerian situation. Uh, well, mostly anyway. Um, sure, where they've had to pay a fine. Where they had um, to pay a fine, and and that's all looking uncertain. And yeah. 
they're meant to be listing in Nigeria, but that's proving challenging as well. And yeah, the politics yeah, yeah. there just it's it's the it's the it's the gift that keeps on giving in as far as yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> for them, so, it so, seems. So, you know, if, if I just apply Occam's razor here, um, you've got a, a, a big multinational telecommunications player that's made its first loss ever in the same month that the CEO resigns. <laughs> um, well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I mean, he's, he's CEO of the South African business. In fact, there was this huge um, uh, political uh, furore around him not being appointed uh, to, group, uh, to group CEO. Um, when the I last see. one left, there's a, a lot of people who felt he had certainly proved himself, not just at MTN for as long as he'd been there, but at Microsoft and everything he'd done before, Microsoft yes. Africa and so on. And people just felt, you know, he it was really a, a massive snub for him not to get that seat. Um, ah, I see. That's I would, the perspective I didn't have. <laughs> see, I would hazard that um, perhaps uh, that's a seat that he might believe, and I speak very carefully here. I I'm, I I can totally see how someone in, of his stature might believe that um, uh, he, he ought to be uh, controlling the, the the vision of this company right from the top and not from you know from mm. second tier where he really can't shape the the vision. And I'm saying this based on having had conversations with him and mm. understanding how deeply. Uh, seated some of his beliefs are in terms of what MTN was and wasn't doing right, you know? Yeah, and I suppose we also shouldn't, um, uh, you know, conflate the performance of the group with what's happening in South Africa. I haven't looked True. at the, the numbers for South Africa in particular. South it might be a massive along. success. Be, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> South Africa is ticking along, but in context, uh, the disaster they're having up north um, has just sort of taken the shine off anything they're doing anywhere mm -hmm. else on mm -hmm. the continent. So, um, and in fairness, um, you never know what the deal is, yeah? Um, it also comes down to supply and demand with, with uh, skills and expertise oftentimes. And I imagine for the right situation, the right number, the right sort of circumstances, the right trust from a, mm -hmm. from a good board, you know, the right yeah. confidence of a chairman can certainly sway someone in a, in a career mm -hmm. direction we'd all never saw, seen coming. Absolutely. And, you know, again, from the sidelines, watching Mteto Anyati's career has been great. I've also had the pleasure of, of, of chatting to him, not recently, <laughs> back, yeah. back when I was still in it. Um, he, and, you know, I've just always, always thought he was a great guy. So congratulations to him and, and well done to Ultron because I think they've, they've, they've bagged a winner. <laughs> no, they bagged a good one. They bagged a good one. I, 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 I certainly believe so too. Now, listen, let, one last story before we hop into a chat that I... I, I, I've been looking forward to having with you about uh, Bitcoin and blockchain tech and all that. Um, mm -hmm. But let's talk um, some of these allegations that have been put forward by WikiLeaks claiming that the CIA uses hacker malware to to basically uh, infect iPhone and Android devices uh, with the view to hacking, you know, quote unquote, uh, you know, encrypted message apps such as signal and whatsapp you know the apps mm. that we would consider to be foolproof sort of secure and all the rest of it uh how surprised are you firstly that these allegations are being made and 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 what do you sense the likelihood of them being true given what we already know the u.s government does in terms of surveillance mm. So, you know, just given, given the sheer stupidity of the people we're talking about, none of this surprises me. Um, of course they have these tools. And of course they think that you can hack an encrypted system that in, in fact you can't. So, you know, the, the, the software that they use kind of targets the, 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 the operating system level. It targets Android and iOS on Apple's devices, um, you know, desktop operating systems like Linux and Windows, um, and including firmware on things like routers and smart TVs. So really, any device that's connected to the internet, there's, there's a team working on, on um, I'm going to call it malware because it is that they can install and use to compromise the device. However, I think if we're talking about Signal and WhatsApp as two examples, the end-to-end -end encryption that, that those apps use would be beyond just about any software. I mean, we really are talking, when you get into the realm of encryption, you're, you're talking about, you know, very hardened mathematics. It's, it's, it, it takes sheer compute power to, to crack. Um, 
And I can't imagine a way that that this kind of software would compromise a signal, for example, um, that has very robust encryption and and more importantly, end-to-end encryption. So nothing's been sent out in the open. So, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if if you told me that just about every smartphone in the world had some form of CIA hacking tool installed on it right now. Um, But I would be very surprised if they were able to use that to actually do anything meaningful in terms of um, surveying a conversation on a Signal or a WhatsApp, for example. Now, if you're talking on Google Allo, where things are by default sent out in the open and there's no end-to-end encryption, then yeah, sure, they, they absolutely can read that stuff. Um, anybody yeah. can read that stuff. The 15-year-old with a computer and the right tools uh, sitting on the same Wi-Fi network as you would be able to read what you were doing. Um, so, mm. so, you know, that, but, but that's the risk you take if, you, if you're not employing encryption. The moment things become encrypted, it's a whole different ballgame. Well, thanks for that technical insight because I wasn't aware of that. And I imagine this is a story more uh, or, or less because of like the technical aspects, uh, which thank you for schooling me on. Uh, but uh, and more for the sort of maybe ethical, may I say, uh, uh, dare I say, you know, moral issues around, uh, you know, governments basically snooping on citizens uh, and perhaps even foreign governments and so on. Mm. And and I think that's probably what's gotten, you know, everyone going, what? Do they really do that? Well, for, firstly... Of course they do, and, and maybe in, in a sense there was no bubble burst for me, in as far as uh, you know me, you know, and what what I've come to expect from from governments in general, and certainly the CIA. Mm, mm. Yeah. So I, th- you know, I th- I think that um, it's just an important note um, to anybody listening to this conversation that we're in the middle of a war right now for our rights, um, and you owe it to yourself and everybody you're communicating with to turn on encryption on all of your devices and make sure that you're using encrypted communications across the board. And there are a few very easy ways you can do that. But but firstly, just to address the misconception of I'm not doing anything wrong, so why should I hide? It's not about that, right? It's about, um, it's about a movement in society and culture with governments overreaching, thinking that they have a right to come into your private life and see what's going on. And you might not be doing anything wrong now, but if another gov- if a, you know if a new regime takes power and it's scary what's happening in the United States now for example then you might be doing something wrong according to whoever happens to be next to somebody's standard yeah. yeah yeah if you were a jewish businessman in berlin in 1930 you weren't doing anything wrong until the regime change that came 10 years and later and you're like oh you were born we have a problem with that exactly so <laughs> okay, yeah. so it's it's not about whether or not you're doing anything wrong. It's about what we decide to allow society. So, firstly, right. um, if you're using an iPhone, awesome, because it's hardware encrypted out of the box. The entire operating system and all of your files are encrypted out of the box. Most modern Android devices, if they're running the latest version of Android, are doing that as well. But you also need to make sure that your communications are encrypted. WhatsApp is fantastic because it's got very good end-to-end encryption. Signal is very good end-to-end encryption using open standards. Um, Telegram's often mentioned as the poster child for encrypted um, uh, instant messaging. However, because they've written their own encryption that they've cooked up themselves and there are a lot of questions about it, it's actually probably... um, behind whatsapp and signal now Mm. the other thing you can do and this is this is this is something everybody should be doing is if you've got a website even if it's just a blog you should get a secure certificate and you should set up https on your website so that everybody who comes to your website um, has an encrypted connection um, and nobody can snoop on them for example leaving comments um, etc or the content that they're consuming it's become extremely easy to do um, and 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 i just recommend that that anybody with a website do that as well and then make sure that your desktop operating system is encrypted as well um, so for example if you're using a mac os 10 isn't encrypted out of the box um, but if you go into your security settings you can very easily um, turn it on um, by going to security and privacy and ticking a box um, of course this does mean that you there's extra compute power going into unencrypting files every time you access them but the technology's become so good that you won't even notice it happening but i think this is something we should all be thinking about now Wow, fantastic tips and a great way to sort of round up our news segment. 
Yeah, I, I love ch- chatting with you because you're easily one of the smartest people I know, especially when it comes to. Geez, you don't uh, know a lot of smart people then. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I meet I meet a whole bunch, and and generally, I have to say, my Rolodex is pretty tight. You know? so, <laughs> sure. <laughs> so yeah, so no, you're you're in good company, but no, nah, really, thanks for that. Um, cool. Let's talk about um, two things, actually, that um, fascinating me at the moment. Uh, some uh, making headlines in the last week or so, probably 10 days or so, is the fact that, you know, Bitcoin um, seems, uh, you know, steadily, you know, steadily becoming what some are calling a legitimate asset class. And mm-hmm. people point to its, you know, the stabilization of its price, you know, the far less volatility, um, to say nothing of its mainstream adoption and, and, you know, just just it's coming out of the underground, as it were. But then mm. this past week, also the fact that it's, you know, the price of Bitcoin seemed to catch up with the gold price. Mm. Now, I read a couple of think pieces that didn't leave me anywhere near understanding the significance or the lack thereof of that news. But I thought I'd put it to you and say, um, is Bitcoin becoming a sort of serious asset class, you know, and and and, and not something, uh, not a flash in the pan? And how significant is its price in relation to other commodities? Mm, let's start with the second um, question first. So it, it's it's the significance of um, the Bitcoin price reaching parity with an ounce of gold in the real world is utterly meaningless. It means absolutely nothing. You know, um, a Bitcoin um, is a store of value in a blockchain, and we can talk a little bit more about the technology if you want to. It's bits effectively in storage um, or in encrypted storage versus some shiny rock that you find in the ground on our planet um, that is prolific in the universe. It's not even that rare. <laughs> just just here on Earth, it sort of is. Um, so, so comparing the price of the two is utterly meaningless. However, uh, there's a perception uh, impact. So, you know, people think about gold as the safe haven, as the ultimate commodity. Um, we used to have the gold price that all of our, our currency was based on. So I think in terms of market perceptions, it's Firstly, a good way for news websites to grab clicks <laughs> because because it, it grabs attention. But but it, it's it, outside of the perceptions with people going, wow, this Bitcoin thing is serious. And look, I can compare it mentally with gold now. Um, in reality, it, it's kind of meaningless. Um, but, but, you know, in terms of your other question about it becoming a serious asset class um, – you know, to, to me, it has been for, for quite some time. Unfortunately, I don't think the days of volatility are over. Um, Bitcoin still has a lot of hurdles to cross. Um, for example, uh, at the time of recording, we're waiting to find out whether or not the SEC in the United States will approve the first Bitcoin ETF in, in the American market. So the Winklevoss brothers, uh, those twins who claim to have invented Facebook, <laughs> um, they're, they're, now, they're now in the Bitcoin space. Luckily, they haven't claimed to be Satoshi Nakamoto yet. But, <laughs> but they're trying to get the first ETF off the ground that will make it easier for regular investors in North America um, to invest in Bitcoin. And if that is approved by the SEC, it's going to send the price skyrocketing. Of course, if the SEC doesn't approve it, though, then we're probably going to see the price drop again. And because adoption is still so small relative to the rest of the market, um, there are enough, you know, there's compared to sort of equities and other commodities, there really are only a handful of people actively trading Bitcoin on a daily basis. So that small group of people can send the price, um, you know, just spiraling out of control based on their actions. Uh, so, so before we see true stability in the Bitcoin price, we need a lot more adoption. Um, we need to clear hurdles like, uh, well, and we also need to deal with the fact that people think that, that an ETF announcement is important. Um, there are varying opinions on that one. And then the other thing, of course, is scaling Bitcoin. Bitcoin has a scaling problem at the moment. It's fairly limited in terms of how many transactions can be processed um, over time compared to a network like Visa, where you know it can process thousands of transactions per minute or whatever it is. Um, In other words, if we all adopted Bitcoin overnight, uh, we all agreed on its value. Reserve banks accepted it. It all it, it and like overnight that happened, uh, we'd have a problem still because capacity is not where it should be in terms of processing transactions. Well, so yeah, um, it would just become really slow. So at the moment, it takes just uh, anything from a few seconds to like half an hour for a Bitcoin transaction to to take place. Half Whereas, an hour. 
Mm. But remember, Andile, that's faster than anything else in the world. When you swipe your credit card, you get an SMS immediately to tell you that the funds have been reserved. But the transaction can take days. It can sometimes oh, take weeks. So, so there's a misconception that banks are able to transfer um, money faster. They, they absolutely aren't. And if we're talking about foreign remittance, well, you know, the banks can take two weeks to get money from one country to another. So yeah. um, Bitcoin is already way faster than anything else that's available. Um, but it does have the scaling issue. And when we start writing other things into the blockchain, because, of course, the other thing that it gives us is the ability to write any contract, um, any transfer of value, um, yes. any statement of trust, etc. We can do that all in the blockchain. Once you start adding the overload of, of those extra bits that need to be assigned to a block, um, then the, the, the block size debate becomes more and more relevant. So there are, again, this is a technical problem that we know how to solve. The question isn't whether or not the Bitcoin community can solve this, but rather how, because it's become quite an ugly philosophical battle between the people who want to stick to, to Satoshi Nakamoto, of course, who's the founder of Bitcoin, you could say, or the person who wrote the white paper and, and was involved in the development of Bitcoin in the early days. Nobody knows who this person is. It's a pseudonymous character. Um, but some of the solutions on the table for scaling Bitcoin would mean veering away um, sort of ethically and philosophically from some of the things that Satoshi Nakamoto had in that white paper. So, you know, you've got purists who will kick against that. Um, and then once they've agreed on whether or not this is in line with the vision for Bitcoin, they then have to agree to the best technical implementation. And it's just been an absolute mess of infighting and opinions and personal agendas. And so technically, Bitcoin ha doesn't have a problem. A problem which gold, for example, doesn't have. As a well, I suppose, you know, it's got, it, it's, it's got its own form of it. Um, human nature enters these things in, in interesting ways. But, but it's just a really long-winded way of explaining that, that Bitcoin doesn't have a technical scaling problem as such. It really has a, a philosophical and community problem in terms of implementation. But it'll, it, it'll get over that too. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is just that I don't think the days of volatility are over. So Bitcoin's still going to be very volatile for quite a long time. So in terms of volatility, um, you don't reckon we're out of the woods yet in, in as far as, and as far as volatility or the lack thereof uh, helping to validate uh, Bitcoin as a as an asset class. Yeah, so you know, again, we've we've got this this scaling problem that the Bitcoin community faces, um, and this ethical and philosophical battle that's waging between the various camps in terms of how we solve it. Um, technically, it's not a problem for Bitcoin as such, but you know, it's going to create a lot of volatility until one of these technical implementations is implemented, which might mean that we see a forking. Um, and uh, a sort of a, a, an alternative chain emerging that some people flock to, etc. So it's still going to be messy, I think, in the short to medium term. And I reckon, you know, that's a, that's a great segue into my next question, you know, around the mainstream adoption of blockchain technology in general. Now, you've got decidedly different attitudes towards blockchain technology and cryptocurrency in general when you think of say, the, the Central Bank of, of Kenya, the Central Bank of Nigeria, and perhaps, the, you know, the Reserve Bank of South Africa, which I'd consider three of perhaps the leading, you know, reserve or central banks of, of, on the continent. Uh, you see in Kenya and Nigeria this, you know, decidedly hostile attitude towards uh, cryptocurrency firstly and, and almost an indifferent, you know, approach or attitude towards blockchain technology, whereas... In South Africa, you've got this fanning out we're seeing on the part of South Africa's Reserve Bank experiments using blockchain technology, running on Ethereum, um, statements being put out saying we, we, we wouldn't be averse to, to rolling out a, a parallel uh, e-currency, you know, alongside the RAND, you know, similar to, uh, to Tunisia. Uh, what do you make of all those things? I mean, in the context of the of the sort of uh, I don't want to, controversy surrounding Bitcoin and its and, and its and, the, and its community, uh, where does that leave uh, you know the mainstream sort of fan, financial fraternity in as far as you know adopting these technologies as part of you know everyday life? 
Look, I think Bitcoin's woes aside, blockchain technology is something that um, a lot of you, you mentioned Tunisia, for example, which is the first country that has actually said it, it's definitely going to roll out a sovereign blockchain and basically convert the country's uh, currency into uh, a blockchain backed currency, into a cryptocurrency. Um, we also think Senegal, for example, has, uh, has, has intentions of doing so. And there's a discussion happening at the South African Reserve Bank as well, although they haven't said anything officially yet in terms of, of, of where that discussion is heading. Those discussions carry on unhindered. And really, if you talk about what blockchain offers um, as, as uh, a ledger system, that's, that's something that can happen and, and doesn't really have an impact or is impacted by what's going on in the Bitcoin world. I mean, obviously, there will be um, perceptions, etc. But just technically, as a technical implementation, what's happening in terms of Bitcoin's potential forking, etc. That's not something that these reserve banks should necessarily be too worried about. It certainly doesn't invalidate the technology. We've already reached the point at which we know that that blockchain infrastructure is is by far the best way to run a distributed ledger. Um, then there's the discussion about the regulator's ability to impact Bitcoin because they really don't have one. Um, it's not something that they can police and it ultimately doesn't really matter what they say about um, Bitcoin in terms of its legality. Obviously, if they make Bitcoin legal tender in a country and they enable a citizenry to pay taxes with it or service debt, then that changes the game for Bitcoin fundamentally. But what I mean is, if a legislator came out, for example, and said, look, it's illegal to use Bitcoin in our country, you're not allowed to, you know, it would be an utterly meaningless step to take. And I'll give you an example that we're all familiar with in the world of media, right? With people downloading movies and, and TV shows from the internet without paying for them for, you know, using technology like BitTorrent. You know, countries have made that outright illegal. You can go to prison in some for, for downloading content that you haven't paid for and certainly for sharing it which is you know the big thing that that uh that is pleased but that hasn't stopped it at all in fact it hasn't i would say had any meaningful impact on um on content piracy and also there's no victim so it's a very difficult thing to prosecute because um hollywood has had its its best 10 years in history in terms of profits so it's very hard to make the case that content piracy is hurting anybody when the people making the content are earning more money than ever before. So mm. that's one example of where regulation would be utterly meaningless um, because it can't be policed. And it would be similar in the Bitcoin world. If a government said uh, Bitcoin is now illegal in our country, and even if they all did that, that's fine. But there's nothing they can do to stop it without turning off the Internet. They don't have the power to police it. So it really doesn't matter what the regulators do. Regulators going to regulate. Now I'm not dissing them. Like I'm, you know, uh, I'm a fan of some regulation. When I get into an airplane, I want to know that the pilot's got a license and that the airplane was serviced recently, and the people making sure that that's happen happening are a, are a regulator, right? A, a civil aviation authority, for example. Um, so, mm. so some regulation is very good, and regulators have an important job to do. But really, I think all they can do in the Bitcoin space is. Think about what it means for their own activities, because it doesn't matter what your business is. There's an opportunity for you to use Bitcoin technology that's going to make it better. But in terms of what they do about Bitcoin, I think the best thing they can do is just get out of the way. <laughs> oh, dear. And I, I have it under good authority that uh, regulators in Kenya... Uh, 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 that regulators in Nigeria do listen to this show, and uh, <laughs> and they've done exactly what you've just said. Uh, they've um, they've spent a lot of time and energy in the last sort of month or so uh, circulating, uh, you know, notices saying that you know cryptocurrencies aren't legal tender. Stay away. Uh, I believe Kenya's done something similar. Um, again, I, I totally take your point uh, to why that. M probably is a waste of time on their part no no so I, let me clarify that because this is, there's an there's some important nuances here so yes the regulator should be educating people about potential threats for example so right. there there are some criminal groups like triple m global that run ponzi schemes and pyramid schemes in africa um, and are exploiting people and stealing money to be quite frank um, and they're doing this under the guise of cryptocurrency. Some of them are anyway. For example, they're insisting that payment is made using Bitcoin, for example, or they've, in extreme cases, come up with their own 
um, scam uh, cryptocurrency that isn't really a cryptocurrency, etc. In those cases, I feel the regulator stepping into the market and going, please be wary, um, please understand what you're putting your money into, etc. You know, that's good work that regulators should be doing. Of course, there's a whole libertarian discussion to be had about, you know, if people are stupid and want to give their money away, well, whose problem is that? Um, but I'm not suggesting that regulators shouldn't be involved in that kind of activity. If they are going out and telling people to stay away from Bitcoin, well, that would depend on their reasoning. Unfortunately, it's usually just from a, an utter lack of understanding about how Bitcoin works and the technology involved. But it is a volatile, it is a volatile store of value right now. So... You know, I, I always tell people when they ask me, should I invest in Bitcoin? I go, well, only with money you, you can afford to lose, right? Um, yeah. So, so you, you have to admit there is that volatility, etc. But, but what, I, okay. what I mean more is, is, is in terms of coming out and taking a stance against Bitcoin as something that's illegal or dangerous or you know, it, it, it's ineffective because people are going to do it anyway. It can't be policed at a technology level. Um, and and so I would I would say to regulators find out what's happening find out about the third parties that are using Bitcoin to run for example these scams in your country um, and look at how you can stop those third parties again if somebody if somebody stabs <laughs> another human being we don't have a fight about whether or not knives should be made illegal we talk about that human being and, and the problems right it's not that it's not the knife as a technology that has a, a problem and should be banned um and and i think that's an important distinction that needs to be made okay wow yeah you've definitely done a lot to sort of uh uh help me sort of frame my thinking around the issue i suppose the issue with with regulators on the continent typically is I feel, and I and I can't use a blanket statement, but a, a lot of the time I, I, I sense that they're not speaking from a a, a, a sort of informed uh, point of view. In which case, there's a a knee jerk protectionist uh, uh, attitude uh, to sort of preserve legacy structures. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And and it's not usually informed by what's best for you know. Uh, for the general populace in, a, in in terms of where the future is taking us, but also it, it sometimes you you sense that it's tinged with a, a self interest or at least a, a, an interest in keeping you know the, the 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 incumbents happy you know that kind of thing. Mm. And I think there's that, and then there's also this what you, everything you've just mentioned the truth that we are dealing with uh, an unprecedented set of technologies that are that are shaping you know the way we all. Uh, conduct business and we can't just approach it carelessly either mm. and uh, without recognizing the dangers uh, to to citizens everywhere oh absolutely and it's a very difficult time to be a regulator because firstly you can't please these things and secondly the technology outpaces the the regulation exponentially you know it'll take some nerds a weekend to come up with something that regulators will take three years to even begin thinking about implementing regulation takes time it's a very difficult era in, in which to be a regulator, and it's very difficult to give, to give good advice to regulators as well. But, you know, it, it's foolish and short-sighted to say that they don't have a role to play. They absolutely do. I think the, the danger is that when there's a misunderstanding, and we've seen this in the American market repeatedly, regulators step in and actually do more damage than good because they don't understand the technology that they're regulating. Um, in, you know, that, that, that unfortunately does happen sometimes. The other thing that unfortunately happens is they enable a lot of crime through regulation because some, some regulation, and especially if you look at tax regulation, makes it very easy for the bad guys um, to fly under the radar and make it look like they're complying, complying, while on the other hand makes life difficult for the honest players um, who now have to spend you know, man hours on massive amounts of pointless administration in their businesses so that they can um, so that they can prove that they're the good guys while the bad guys are able to to do business more easily than ever before. You know, an example of that is, is RICA in South Africa, um, which is the system by which we register or associate names with SIM cards. It's the easiest thing in the world to game there. And, 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 and if you want to sell SIM cards in South Africa, it means that uh, you, you need to 
have all sorts of infrastructure and compliance departments and things in place to make your business more difficult. If you're an honest South African who wants to get a SIM card, it's not as straightforward as just going to a store and buying one anymore. You have to produce an ID and a proof of residence, and it's laborious. Um, whereas, you know, somebody with a fake um, passport from another African country can just go and buy a box of 10,000 SIM cards and have them recorded at once. And there's a lot of uh, corruption in the systems, etc. So it's, it's, it's a difficult time to be a regulator, but I think they, they could also think more carefully about the impact their regulation is having and whether or not it's actually protecting anybody. Right, right. Well, that's as good a place as any to end the show today. It's been absolutely a pleasure to have you on, man. Yeah, dude, it's been great to chat to you again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. But uh, before you go, I, and before I say goodbye to you for the very last time, one more time, a big thank you to Alpha Code and VC for Africa for powering the upcoming African Tech Roundup live event happening in Santa Johannesburg on the morning of Thursday, March 16th. Now, for all the details on the event and uh, for a link to apply, uh, head straight to www.africantechroundup.com forward slash live. And of course, if you're unable to join us on the day, do tune in live via our live stream at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup or facebook.com forward slash VC for Africa. Now that's it for this week. Uh, again, the biggest thank you reserved once again for my guests this week. Uh, easily one of the top 10 most uh, intelligent people I have in my Rolodex. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> <laughs> easily, easily. Um, okay, maybe I have subcategories. Okay, so uh, you're you're the, one of the top ten fintech buffs in my cat in, in my in my Rolodex. Uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Really, um, I always um, uh, leave our conversations having learned so much more than I expected, and uh, we must do this again. Likewise, Andile, always great chatting to you. Thank you very much for show and thank you for listening do join me again next week on africantechroundup.com in the meantime uh do follow us on twitter and instagram at african roundup or on facebook at facebook.com forward slash african tech roundup uh to keep yourself abreast of all the biggest news headlines as they happen and of course if you'd like to be part of the show do send us a voice note via email um and the address is hello at africantechroundup.com but for now i'm andilia masugu until next time do take care africa